What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm your co-host, Matt Wyrick, alongside, as always, Blake Pace. Blake, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, yeah. We're sitting here. We're actually doing this the day it's coming out, February 6th, a couple days after the Super Bowl. I'm, I'm pretty sad about things, but we have had a busy week uh, in athletics uh, across all three major sports, so I'm excited to uh, to have some conversations in here. And I know I'm not going to be available the full podcast, but... I'm sure we're going to have a pretty good show and then uh, kind of lead into next week and see how things go. Yeah, Blake's going to stick with us early on to talk some football and a little bit of Mookie bets, and then uh, after he goes, I'll stay on a little bit longer and just kind of give some thoughts on that trade and the impact it has on the game because there's just so much to unpack there. I feel like you know we got to dedicate some time, but we're going to start off mm-hmm. with the Super Bowl. That's kind of how this crazy week started uh, with Super Bowl Sunday. Obviously, the Chiefs are our champions of the football universe now and uh, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid getting those first rings at very different points of their careers. Uh, Blake, what was your overall takeaway from the game and, and what do you think it means for some of those guys' legacies? Yeah, it, you know, it's the story of the 2019 season essentially, you know. I, I or the, tw- the the Super Bowl was a replication of what we've seen from the Chiefs the entire postseason, which is what I wanted to say. Sorry, I got a little distracted there. Um, you, you can never count this team out, and whether it was down 24 nothing to the Texans or being down 17-7 to to the Titans, um, this Chiefs team, with how high-powered that offense is, with how great and speedy those receivers are, and of course the greatness of Patrick Mahomes, you can never count them out. And so um, I know there's a lot of bashing over, you know, Kyle Shanahan, and, and maybe we'll get into that a little bit later over how they blew this lead and how, you know, Shanahan's now got two of the, you know, the biggest Super Bowl collapses, I guess, uh, to his name. One is the offensive coordinator for the Falcons, but to me, this is more just the greatness of this Chiefs offense, and, and you can never count them out. Extremely happy to see Mahomes get his first ring. He's got a lot of time left to rack up some more. More happy for, of course, Andy Reid to get that first one um, in there and and now to have his name removed from the winningest coach to never have a Super Bowl. So, all in all, good game. It was an enjoyable Super Bowl. Um, And and I guess the biggest takeaway is is the the Chiefs kind of did this all throughout the postseason where you can never count them out when they've got Mahomes uh, under center. Yeah, I mean, we both picked the Chiefs going into the game, so it certainly wasn't a surprising result, at least for us. Mm -hmm. I did feel like San Francisco would jump out to an early lead, as they did, and then ultimately, you know, Patrick Mahomes, despite throwing two interceptions in the game, turned things around and was really able to rally that team the second half, as he has been doing all postseason. So it was a pretty incredible performance. I'm happy for Andy Reid. Glad to see Mahomes, uh, you know, kind of take that step forward, break the Madden curse, by the way. Pretty, oh, yeah. pretty big news there. He, one, he was, one year after Antonio Brown probably had the worst Madden curse yeah, of really. all time. <laughs> We've seen some terrible uh, fallouts from being on the Madden mm-hmm. cover, but Mahomes Peyton of all Hillis. people, he seemed invincible uh, from that. And certainly you, you could have argued that it was the, the ankle injury that he had was what uh, you know, it's kind of was the repercussion from the curse, but he overcame it. Uh, and you know, they're obviously on top of the world now for 50 years since the chiefs won super bowl four. So great for that fan base. Uh, they obviously Kansas city had the Royals win uh, a title a couple of years ago, but ultimately, you know, that city hasn't had a whole lot of success, uh, in the last, you know, half century. So, very happy to for that fan base, for all of them. So kind of looking ahead now, it's obviously been four days. So if you haven't really digested the Super Bowl, I think that's on you uh, more than uh, anything yeah. else. But <laughs> moving forward, what do you think 
kind of looking back on this season now, what does the Super Bowl mean for the 2019 season's legacy? And more importantly, does this mean that Patrick Mahomes is the face of the NFL now? Well, you know, it's funny. If you ask Patrick Mahomes, he says, no, it's Lamar Jackson because he won the MVP instead. Eh, I don't, I don't um, which, yeah. which I don't, I don't buy. You know, look, Patrick Mahomes to me, I, and I know we've got some of the old great quarterbacks still in this game. Obviously, the GOAT, Tom Brady, is coming back for another season. I, I think this is the beginning of a transition period to where Patrick Mahomes is the face of the NFL. And I know it's weird because the regular season really didn't hear that much from him. You know, with the seasons of Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Lamar Jackson, he flew kind of under the radar also missed a few weeks with a dislocated knee so obviously with all those things tied in there it was kind of weird to see his name at the end of the season you know come out on top but yes I do believe this is the transition to where we start to say this guy is the face of the league and and there are other great quarterbacks out there um, and and you know we could see Lamar Jackson come right back in and hey if the Ravens win the Super Bowl next year you know we could say okay well is Lamar Jackson you know the face and there's there's a bunch of talented guys out there you know if Russell Wilson gets another ring um, if Aaron Rodgers gets his second there are a lot of guys out there but given the the fact that he is 24 years old Patrick Mahomes and he's got an MVP a Super Bowl ring uh, two time All Pro I don't see any reason to believe that he is not the face of the NFL moving forward. He's also just young and good with the media, you know, very kind of like a magnet for attention, but in a good way uh, of that just people just kind of flock to him. I mean, he does these crazy things on the field and is so humble about it. It's just something that you're just everybody's just amazed at. And, you know, he embraces the spotlight, but in a way that is definitely beyond his years. He's very mature. Uh, I I feel I kind of get the Derek Jeter sense from him a little bit. Uh, so I feel like Mahomes is uh, as good a candidate as any to take that mantle, and especially considering you know the numbers that he's put up already. He's certainly established himself as the best quarterback in football, and you know with quarterback being you know the most important position in the game, it's easy for somebody who's you know the best quarterback uh, and a great personality to take over that role. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's like Tom Brady has kind of been that for a while. Before that, it kind oh, of yeah. felt like Peyton Manning, even though Brady was winning titles in earlier in his years. I felt mm-hmm. like Manning was kind of the guy just because, you know, he was putting up better numbers in the regular season. And uh, yeah. you know, the Colts, of course, they did win that one Super Bowl uh, and made it to a second. But mm-hmm. overall, well, you know, you kind of felt like Manning was that dude for. I would yeah. say more longer than Brady was. But then when Brady just kept winning all these right. championships late in his career, I'd say it kind of shifted to him. But I feel like the torch yeah. has been passed to Mahomes at this point. Yeah, I guess the way that I would break it down, of course, Manning also had in there five MVPs throughout his career. So I'd yes. say, you know, if you take the 2000s, Manning's decade. You take the 2010s, Brady's decade. And now we've got the, the transition to where I, I would be surprised if Mahomes, I would be shocked if over the next 10 years, Mahomes isn't consistently one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. It's also crazy that Rodgers never really had a, a time oh, period where he was the guy. He's he's so talented. It makes me upset, and I know he took a little bit of a dip this year, and he's getting up there in age. But, yeah, I agree. It is unfortunate to see that he never really had that time. And and even some other guys in there. You throw in a guy like your guy, Breeze, you know? Mm-hmm. For as great and accurate of a quarterback as he has been and, and all the accolades and the stats, kind of not overshadowed because we still recognize him as a great, but to not be able to take that top, you know, tier quarterback over those guys, it's just, it's, it's, 
it's tough because there's so many great quarterbacks in football right now. And, uh, and unfortunately, some of these guys don't get the opportunity to be the guy for an extended period of time. It's true. It, it does kind of suck, but at the same time, you know, that's the nature of competition. And, yeah. uh, you know, hey. I, everybody's always looked forward to Breeze versus Manning matchups or uh, Rodgers versus Brady. So I wouldn't say that, mm-hmm. you know, Rodgers is going to get lost in the fold by any means. But as no. far as, like, kind of who defined the sport for the decade, I agree with you. I feel like Manning was the 2000s, uh, and then you get in the 2010s, it was definitely Brady. It's kind of funny that we're literally going into a new decade yeah. with <laughs> with this Super Bowl, and this is, like, yep. Mahomes' defining moment. Even though I, I thought Damian Williams deserved to be the MVP, uh, especially yeah. considering the two interceptions that Mahomes threw. I mean, he definitely led right. them to that comeback there uh, in the second half. And so if you're saying throw the numbers out, just look at what he did to save the game, I get it. Mm-hmm. But also, like, Damian Williams' yards after catch were pretty incredible, too. I mean, he had to make some moves. Yeah. Uh, Travis Kelsey m- made a pretty good catch in the end zone uh, for that first touchdown on the comeback. So, you know, I think that it was a... You could have gone either way, but I felt that Williams, mm-hmm. you know, rushing for over 100 yards, adding a, a receiving touchdown in the mix, and of course scoring a rushing touchdown as well, you know, that that really cemented him as kind of the best player of the game. Um, but right. with Mahomes being Mahomes, uh, I didn't feel like the league was going to go out on a limb and, and give Williams the MVP. They kind of wanted to put a ribbon on it and give it to Mahomes. I mean, exactly. it, it was, like and just... real quick, it was the writers, obviously, not the, the league, but, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think we're just at the point now, and this goes to regular season MVP, Heisman winners, and Super Bowl MVPs. It's it's going to be you have to do a lot to to you know give it to someone other than the quarterback. And, mm-hmm. and I think back to even you know that great Patriots Seahawks Super Bowl. I get it. Tom Brady was amazing. Malcolm Butler, if he doesn't make that interception, they lose that Super Bowl. That that was the most valuable play of that game, mm-hmm. and and so you know I, it's unfortunate sometimes that some of these players don't get it. But we're at just at the point now in sports where you know the quarterback is such an important uh, piece of the team, and obviously the face of of every team, the face of the franchise is the quarterback, and so it's tough to it, it's it takes a lot these days to to not give a quarterback an accolade like that. Absolutely, and looking ahead to next season, the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. are losing a few notable free agents. Uh, defensive tackle Chris Jones, uh, who racked up nine sacks this year in 13 games. He will be a free agent as well as, on my list right here, Kendall Fuller uh, and Emmanuel Ogba. Mm-hmm. So uh, all key pieces of this defensive unit that took a big step forward this season. And now they're going to be going into an offseason where they're going to need to fill several holes. Uh, you know, the running game, mm-hmm. even though Williams did have a good uh you know, game there. It, it, it was kind of a question mark throughout the year as to whether or not Williams could hold that starting role. We obviously had LaShawn McCoy uh, and what's his name? Spencer something. Um, Spencer Ware. Yeah, Spent. No, no, not Spencer Ware. Who, what's the rookie uh, who was on the Chiefs this year running back? Oh, they uh, had another Williams. Uh, Darwin Thompson. A- they had Daryl Williams and Darwin. Oh. Darwin Thompson was a rookie um, who gotcha. I actually was pretty high on coming into the year. Thought he would kind of get more carries than he did. Um, but yeah, they were they were a bit of a revolving door at running back, and while Williams is signed uh, through, I believe next season, it might be even the year after that. Uh, you know, they probably are going to want to bring in somebody to complement him. But a lot of questions on that defensive side, Blake. Do you think that this is a team capable of repeating? Uh, and what do they need to do over the off season to kind of get to that point? 
Yeah, so you, you mentioned those three big free agents defensively. Um, I, I think they bring back Chris Jones. Um, I don't see a way. I, I think it has to come way of franchise tag, unfortunately. Um, you know, and, and then kind of see where you can go from there. If you can shred, shed some cap elsewhere and be able to uh, be able to um, you know sign him to a long term deal eventually, because he is a game changer in the middle of that defense. Uh, the one to me that they're they're really going to miss is Fuller uh, in the defensive back. I just don't think they'll be able to afford to bring him back. And you know, he's going to be one of the more prized defensive back free agents at corner. I know there's Byron Jones in Dallas that'll probably become the highest paid corner just with the way free agency goes, but this is going to be another guy that demands a lot of money. So I don't know if they'll be able to bring him back essentially, which definitely hurts the secondary. A secondary that, you know, isn't too talented. You've got Honey Badger who is great, but outside of that, their corners aren't, you know, that great. And then the biggest one offensively too, and um, you got to think Sammy Watkins, you know, he's got an interesting situation coming up. He's talked about maybe sitting out this year. That rumor came out two days before the Super Bowl that he mm-hmm. might sit out 2020 to reset his value. Um, you know, that's another guy where, you know, you think about all the receivers. Uh, okay. Yeah. You can afford to lose Sammy Watkins. You were paying him a lot of money. You still got Tyree kill Nicole Hardman, um, uh, Robinson in there too. I'm forgetting his first name right now. You, you've got a lot of talented wide receivers. So losing Sammy Watkins won't be a huge hit, but he was a talented guy. I mean, you think about that play that he burnt Richard Sermon on for that deep catch down the seam or down the down the sideline. Um, that was a beautiful play. First off, oh, if yeah. you watch the replay and how he was able to break off of Sherman, uh, I think he said. I think he said in the post game that he was like he saw Devonte Adams do that same move and he was like, oh, I know one hundred percent I can break Sherman on that play. So. Um, <laughs> That's that's going to be a, a you know a, a loss offensively, but you know not as a big one, I guess, as I would think Fuller on the defensive backside. So if they can franchise tag Jones, bring him back, Agba, I, I think you can find a guy like that through the draft. Not an insanely talented guy on the edge, and and someone that maybe you can replace with a mid round pick, uh, you know, second or third round guy if you want some more help on the edge. But I think there are other ways to help replace that. But I, I'd say Jones is the number one priority. If you can bring back Fuller, I, I'd go ahead and do it just because I don't think that they'll be able to replace that level of talent in free agency or the draft, uh, depending on where they're picking. And um, and yeah, for the running back situation, there's a couple guys if they want to you know, go second round pick on a guy like J.K. Dobbins. There, there's a couple names out there they could go, but as you can see, the running backs that they have, it, it didn't really seem to make a huge difference. So maybe they, they don't really need to go ahead and fully address that position just yet. Yeah, and Mel Kuyper's um, mock draft right now uh, that he just released yesterday, I believe, uh, he Mm -hmm. has the Chiefs pegged at uh, drafting, I'm going to totally butcher this name, but it's Noah Igbino-Gein, a cornerback from Auburn. Uh, oh, okay. So they he clearly thinks that they're not going to mm. be bringing back Fuller, right. which is interesting. Uh, so that might be an area that they a- address in the draft. Uh, like you mentioned, you know, edge rusher is also something that certainly you should go into the draft hoping to, to get a couple of guys. There are a lot of corners in free agency I think they could dip into if they really wanted to. Uh, Jimmy Ward is one. Mm-hmm. Byron Jones uh, is a free agent. Byron Jones is going to get paid. Yeah, I don't know if they. He's I don't know how what paid. their cap situation is like, but you know that's going to well, be tough. Yeah, their cap situation isn't isn't beautiful. And plus, if they've got the mega extension coming this off season for Mahomes, they got to be smart about it. Yes. Um. So 
yeah, it is going to be interesting to see what they do back there. In which case, like a guy like maybe Logan Ryan out of uh, Tennessee or Bradley Roby, uh, who was with yeah. the Texans this past year, might be a bit more of an affordable option. Uh, could see one mm-hmm. of those guys about being a fit for them if they do decide to hit free agency. I mean, I, I think this team of all of the you know teams that we've seen in the past couple of years win the Super Bowl, I think they're just as capable as any, is not more capable of repeating the following year, just given their quarterback situation, offensive weapons that they do have. Uh, you know, Andy Reid now has shaken the label of not being able to win a title. So you've got one of the greatest head coaches of all time now looking to add to his legacy uh, with multiple Super Bowls. I mean, I, I, if we're talking about odds for next year, I'm sure the Chiefs would be at the top right now. Uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't be opposed to taking that bet right and I think I think you consider the rest of the AFC right now the Ravens definitely uh, are going to be a threat if Lamar Jackson uh, comes into the postseason with a little bit more poise and they're able to you know they kind of you know got embarrassed so depending on how they come back in 2020 will be huge uh, to see you know their chances of making a run the Patriots what are they going to do you know Bill Belichick will obviously have that team back in the in the postseason there's no way they lose the AFC East uh, even without Brady yet I believe so um, yeah, I don't think there are really that many other teams that are really stopping them from getting to the Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, of course, there's a lot of offseason left. There's a lot of uh, drafting left to be done. Um, but I, I would agree right now just with, with what they've got on the team already and who they could potentially bring back. It's going to be tough um, to, to bet against the Chiefs making another run at the title. Yeah, and let's let's look on the other side of this game uh, with the 49ers. Obviously, we, we talked before the game about how Kyle Shanahan might be labeled a choker uh, if they were to blow a lead in this game, and that's exactly what happened. They were up by 10 and mm-hmm. blew that lead, and you know I don't think it's the next 28 to three, but certainly uh, a bruise for Shanahan and his legacy as well. He's really going to have to win a Super Bowl in order to correct that uh, somewhere down the line. Blake, what are you looking back now at this 49ers season? Do you consider it to be a success? Uh, and where do you think they stand going into next season? Yeah, huge success. You turn from a, what was it, a 3-13 and 13 team or 2-14 yep. and 14 to making it to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's remarkable. And, and hats off to Cal Shanahan on an amazing season. And look, the two collapses... I get it. You know, 28 to 3 is definitely bigger, but 20 to 10 with 7 minutes to go is also huge too. My biggest thing is that who are the two guys that they blew it to? It's the guy that we said just ran the 2010s and the guy that we're assuming is going to run the 2020s. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan has just been unlucky where he's faced two of potentially the right now the current goat and then a guy that if his career, you know, continues the way it's at, he could, you know, usurp Tom Brady as the GOAT one day in time if it happens. So, sure. you know, I think these first two Super Bowl opponents, you know, Kyle Shanahan has been a bit unlucky. Of course, you, you know, you you wish that, you know, at least one of those times they'd be able to pull out the win, but I have full confidence in the 49ers that they will reload, come back, and, and be just as good next season. Yeah, some notable free agents here. Eric Armstead, their defensive end. Uh, as well as Emmanuel Sanders, the aging wide receiver, uh, and then Jimmy Ward over in the secondary. So those are kind of the three big names that they're going to be looking to either re-sign or replace. Uh, I, I think a receiver is an interesting position group for this 49ers team. I mean, they've got some young guys in there headlined by Debo Samuel, but I thought that mm-hmm. having Emmanuel Sanders in there to kind of compliment them, be that veteran presence uh, and somebody who's kind of done it before was a really good setup for them. So I feel like bringing in a veteran receiver could really do wonders for him this offseason. 
Yeah, I honestly think keeping Sanders would be huge if they yeah. could bring him back. I mean, he he seemed to love his time there. He enjoyed it. He had a good connection with Jimmy G and perfectly mm-hmm. fit the Kyle Shanahan offense. So if they can bring him back, I think that's the right move. Um, but yeah, Debo Samuel, rising you know, potential star in this league. He was tremendous, especially in, in the end-around game and, and working the middle of the field. And a guy like Kendrick Bourne, I, I like the receivers they got up there. Uh, and of course, Kittle... Um, is an animal there as well too. So I think the 49ers, their situation is really interesting where I think that it, you know, offensively, Kyle Shanahan makes up for so much uh, where you see their running backs are not paying a lot of guys, their receivers, their young guys, and you've got the vet Emmanuel Sanders. Um, so it, for me, the 49ers approach this offseason is, is really to take a look at refining that defense, help in the secondary. Obviously, they need more speed in the secondary. They got burned a few times there by the Chiefs, which everyone gets burned by the Chiefs. But if you want to if you want to come back and beat the Chiefs next year, you're going to need some uh, improvements and get a little bit younger and quicker on the defensive uh, uh, backside. Um, so to me, that's where the, the 49ers can really maximize and move forward uh, next season. Now, Matt, I don't know if you still have it pulled up, but I was wondering who uh, they had. Uh, if you still have Kuiper's mock-up, I was wondering who they had in uh, San Francisco's first-round slot. They're slotting them uh, with Grant Delpit, the safety out of oh. LSU. So uh, oh, we just hey. talk about uh, Jimmy Ward hitting free agency. So, Dude, and, and Grant by some is regarded as the top safety out of this draft class. So if he could fall to the 49ers, that would be beautiful. I think that would be a, a great way to uh, to um, help with that defense. He's a hard-hitting guy, extremely quick, and yeah, I like that. I like that a lot, actually. He's got uh, Xavier McKinney out of Alabama going to the Patriots at 23rd. Um, but mm-hmm. other than that, I'm scrolling through. I think those are the two safeties he has He's got in two. his mock right now. At least in the first round. But yeah. yeah. But that could be a, you know, a fill-in for them. Uh, for Ward, definitely. who is definitely an, uh, an invaluable piece for them uh, and has been for the past several years. So. Uh, overall, though, I, I feel like the 49ers are in a bit of a tougher position to return to the Super Bowl than the Chiefs. And, and I'm, not, I'm taking their teams out of it for a second here just because of their division. I feel like it's just going to be so competitive from year to year. You obviously have the Rams uh, who missed the playoffs, went 7-9. and nine, But, you know, obviously we're in the Super Bowl just a year ago. So you, you don't think that Sean McVay is going to stand pat. He's going to get that team back in the playoffs sooner rather than later. Of course, you have the Seahawks, who always played a tough game against the 49ers, and we saw one of the best games of the year in Week 17 uh, between those two teams. Seahawks mm-hmm. made the playoffs. They're obviously a threat. We'll see you know, what that team kind of looks like next year. It was kind of a t- fluky season for them a little bit with all of the close wins, so you don't really know if that's a sustainable right. model and whether or not that's going to extend it next year, but certainly something to keep an eye mm-hmm. on. And then, of course, in, in Arizona, you have Kyler Murray uh, and Cliff Kingsbury coming up w- with the Cardinals. They're hoping to be contenders next season. We'll see you know, what kind of off-seasons they moves they make, if there are any big splashes. So they're in a tough division, man, and overall the oh, NFC yeah. NFC is just loaded right now. Uh, it so it's going to be tough for Shanahan to redeem himself. I don't think it's going to happen next year, uh, but I do think that he'll have another shot uh, throughout his managerial career or coaching career. Oh, yeah. Long term, it's it's scary for the NFC West. Uh, for next year, to be completely honest, I'm a little worried for the Seahawks. I, like I said, it, it was a little fluky. Pete Carroll isn't really doing much for me these days, especially with how um, bland their offense can be at times, and it's a lot of Russell Wilson making magic. I agree with you. The Cardinals on the rise. The Rams, they've got cap things to figure out, but they should be back. Um, you know, they might trade Todd Gurley. Did you see that? I saw that. Yeah, which hey, it it, it, was, it was a bad day for uh, the the side of 
paying running backs top money because David Johnson is supposedly going to become a cap casualty and is going to get cut. Todd Gurley might get traded, so a lot going on there with with those two NFC West teams. And then another thing, just to take a look at the AFC West, and, and we don't have to spend too much time on it. You know, uh, the Chiefs definitely will be the favorites to come out of that division again, but it, it could be getting better in different ways. I know the Chargers were their biggest competition uh, two years ago, um, but I actually believe, you know, the Raiders are, you know, slowly getting a little bit better. They got the move to Vegas. Another strong draft by Mike Mayock could put them in wildcard contention. And then the Broncos, man. It, I love the Broncos. Just off the top of your head, dude, do you remember what they finished last season? 6-10? Uh, and ten? Dude, 7-9. and 7-9. Which is the most under the radar seven and nine finish? I would have assumed six and ten, five and eleven. They won four out of their last five. Drew Locke seems to be the guy, so they're a team. You know, Vic Fangio, um, another solid offseason. They could be right there in the mix too. So both definitely are going to have a, a tougher time next year in their divisions, respectively. I would assume so, uh, but but I agree, both should still be considered the favorites in, in their respective divisions next season. Absolutely. It's tough to make the Super Bowl and then not be the favorite to win your division the following right. year. Uh, unless, <laughs> yeah. you know, you really lose uh, several key free agents or something right. like that. But uh, overall, yeah, you know, it was a good game. Uh, we were definitely treated to a great one after a dud yeah. uh, the previous year. And it was good to see the Chiefs, you know, kind of break through after losing in the AFC Championship game in 2019. Uh, so overall, a successful Super Bowl. I ate a lot of wings, uh, a lot of uh, yeah, buffalo chicken dip. Uh, you know, got to hang out with some friends. So that is why we weren't able to record that night because the drive home uh, took me to the point where uh, Blake was asleep by the time I got back. And then when he <laughs> woke up, I was asleep. So that's why we weren't able yeah. to record. But uh, overall, uh, very much enjoyed watching the game. And uh, yeah. I'm going to miss football, man. It's over. Hey, well, yeah, real quick. Are you going to give the XFL a try any bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm DC okay. Defenders, man. I'm going yeah. to a game uh, in a That's couple awesome. of weeks. So I'm excited. Um, we uh, Cardale Jones is the quarterback there, the Ohio State legend. Uh, we got some JMU guys, some former Redskins. So lots of local ties to the DC Defenders. I'm just going to kind of embrace it. I know the rules are going to be kind of insane. You know, you can have two yeah. two forward passes in one play, and uh, you can get uh, go for three after a touchdown. And uh, they're going to have like almost all the players mic'd up, which will just be sick. Like, I think it could be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm just very interested to see if it flops early, because uh, if it right. doesn't, I feel like it could last. If it if if it, it, this mm-hmm. is not a total disaster right away, I think it's something that people might you know enjoy. Yeah, as long as people don't expect the NFL level of product out of it, I think we'll be fine. Yeah. It should be enjoyable. I don't. I think they've got the investment and the structure behind that the AFL didn't, which is why I think we'll get a little bit of a better product. Um, and, and yeah, I agree. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it two weeks. I'm going to watch. That's what I give the AFL, and hopefully they can uh, leave a better impression on me than <laughs> they did. AFL, I lost like a quarter in. <laughs> like I just, yeah, it, it was not gave interesting to me. It. Yeah, right. It's like trying to watch minor league baseball. It's just like, you know, right. if, if yeah. you're like, at the you stadium, doing? it's cool. Uh, yeah. You're there, you're getting the ballpark experience. But, like, watching on TV, like, what What am I gaining from that, you know? Exactly. I agree. All right. Well. Oh, dude. Bush, we, no. we made it 26 minutes. <laughs> we made it so long. You were doing so well. Uh-huh. I was going to say that at the end that he had done a good job, but th- there's my dog, everybody. Um, <laughs> I was trying to do a podcast inside for the sake of time because we're leaving for a conference to Atlanta wow. that I have to get in a in a car with my, my team over with paychecks, and uh, we were so close without him uh, 
barking. So dang it, Bush. Oh well. Oh well. All right. Well, we're gonna go ahead and talk baseball. Blake's only got a few minutes, so let's just jump right into the, the Mookie Betts trade here, real quick. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is a trade that shook uh, the foundation of baseball, which I feel like is a phrase I've been using uh, all off season uh, with different things and going on. Winter meetings were crazy. We had the Astros fiasco, and now we have this this crazy trade. Oh. Blake, before, before Bush gets too crazy, yeah. what was your just general takeaway from the move that sent Mookie Betts and David Price over to Los Angeles? Yeah, of course, and sorry for the dog. I will uh, I will do this for my car next time until he's better <laughs> behaved. Um, quick impressions. I mean, well, first off, you know, I, I was seeing this. Uh, you know, when was the last time that someone traded an MVP talent and a former Cy Young? Uh, you know, I, it, you have to go back to the Red Sox back when, and I know they didn't have this Cy Young back then, but uh, when when uh, the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth, I mean, he won an ERA title with the Red Sox and was an MVP. So the Red Sox have done this twice now. Uh, just like to rub that into all my Boston fans. Um, quick, quick impression. You know, the Red Sox. They, some people say they didn't have to do it. It was the smart move for them to do it in the long run. Um, I think to free up the cap space and to kind of reset their function. Um, you know, unfortunately, their last manager uh, overpaid for Eovaldi. You know, Sale Price was on a big contract. Um, they, what was going to happen is they weren't going to be able to pay Mookie Betts the money next season. Um, and, and so, you know, to get a prospect back instead of a mid-round draft pick, I guess for losing him. Um, I understand why they did it, but yeah, it definitely shakes up everything. But I would just also like to say this has been the perfect offseason for the Yankees. They haven't been <laughs> in trouble with any of the uh, with any of the cheating scandals yet. The Mets have gone to crap again. The Astros, who knows what's going to happen with them. And then the Red Sox as well, losing Cora, Mookie Betts, and David Price. The only downside is the Yankees love playing David Price. They loved playing him. They destroyed David Price. So I'll miss seeing him, but we'll see him back in the World Series. And so the Red Sox helped us out by turning him into our World Series opponent. So, And also the Rays' biggest acquisitions this offseason have been Hunter Renfro uh, and right. uh, what's his name? Jose Martinez. So, you know, they're off, and they obviously lost Tommy Fan and Avisail Garcia. So those are basically just replacing those two bats. So you're looking at basically the same Rays team going into 2020 just with a healthy Blake Snell. Uh, so no massive upgrades there. Got to be happy about that if you're a Yankees fan. Oh, yeah, I love it. All right, well, Blake, thank you yeah. for uh, sitting on here right before your meeting. I apologize. Yeah. This is actually my fault, everybody, that Blake's having to go. Uh, I was looking at houses this morning uh, with some Ooh. one of my friends to move into a new place, and uh, it took a little bit longer than I thought, and then there was traffic. So it is my fault that Blake is not going to be here for this full discussion. So, Blake, we'll nah. miss your insight, and I hope you listen to uh, my rant that I'm about to go on because – Oh, oh of course. <laughs> I, I will, I'm excited for it. I know you're excited to share it with us. And, yeah, sorry I can't do the full episode, but we'll be back. Uh, one thing I wanted to plug uh, before I head out – I'm finally back in with a manageable schedule where I am going to be resuming quick hits. Um, hey. Kind of now that we're in draft season, off season, I'm going to be bringing back not five podcasts a week. I'm going to be doing three, uh, but that's going to be starting next week. So I'm excited to do that. I'll be doing it at five in the morning, which is a beautiful way to work things <laughs> out. But it, it has to be like that. I've missed doing it, and I'm excited to get back in the swing of things. So just wanted to plug that before I left. But Matt, uh, pleasure talking with you as always. I'm excited to listen to your rant. I'll listen it, to it uh, on my way down to Atlanta uh, in just a few hours, and uh, I wish you all the best, man. Right on. All right, man. Well, I will talk to you later. All righty. Peace. See ya.
All right. So thank you, Blake, again, for being with us. And now we're going to kind of dive in here a little bit with this trade. It just really – the pushback has really what stood out to me. Now, obviously, we can just kind of run through the, the basic parameters here. Three-team deal uh, with the Red Sox sending Mookie Betts and David Price – to the Los Angeles Dodgers, making them look like one of the biggest juggernauts uh, in all of baseball, especially in the National League. They definitely seem like uh, the preemptive favorites uh, for the uh, NL pennant. Certainly, they're going to be you know tasked with having to you know beat one of these juggernauts coming out of the American League, whether that be the Yankees or the Astros. The Twins still look pretty good because uh, they were involved in this deal as well. So the Red Sox got back Alex Verdugo, the young outfielder from the Dodgers, uh, as well as a prospect by the name of Gratterall, which is uh, interesting in and of itself. But he can touch uh, 103 with this fastball. Now, the trade is being held up right now because of medicals. Gratterall apparently, uh, although he can hit 103 with that fastball, had some injury issues last year, and after reviewing the medical, uh, this is according to The Athletic, reviewing the medical uh, reports, it appears the Red Sox don't think that Gratterall can be a starter long-term and that he'll be a bullpen piece, which is also what the Twins believed. Uh, and so that makes him a little less valuable, and I believe the Red Sox want more now uh, as a result of those findings. So that is holding things up. Teams still expect things to go through, but uh, moving forward, uh, of course, the Twins, out of all of this, they get Kenta Maeda, uh, the starter from the Dodgers, uh, who they shipped over for Gratterall, uh, to the Dodgers, who then sent him over to Boston. So one of the shortest uh, tenures ever, uh, approximately, you know, however long negotiations took is how long he was with the Dodgers. So, uh, but the Twins, you know, get that get Kenta Maeda, a starter who you know, should eat some innings for him, maybe not 200, but can get up into that 150, 160, 170 range, uh, and certainly important for them as they enter this season uh, with a rotation that really doesn't have a clear-cut number one. I mean, they're hoping Barrios can step forward and be that guy in the rotation. Uh, but overall, you know, they swung and miss on Keuchel. They didn't get Henjin Ryu uh, as were their two main targets. So what did they do? They signed Josh Donaldson, third baseman, uh, just to score more runs uh, as a result of not being able to prevent other teams from scoring as much. So uh, they're going to be rolling in with, a, you know, a middling rotation, but hoping the offense can carry things. But Maeda is important for them uh, as they hope to get Michael Pineda back. Uh, a little bit into the season uh, as a result of a suspension. Uh, and Rich Hill is also uh, rehabbing an injury, so they hope for him to come back in the middle of the year. So they've got some guys in there. Odorizzi's back as well. Uh, and Julius Chassin, uh, who they signed to a minor league deal, probably will break camp with the team because they just don't have bodies right now. Um, so, they, you know, they've got a bunch of names, nobody who really stands out, but Meta certainly an important piece for them. But, you know, now putting the Twins aside, just the overall take from this trade, the, the Dodgers, I mean, they, they have the look of that juggernaut, and, and that outfield is unquestionably uh, the best outfield in baseball. Uh, put a poll on Twitter a couple of days ago as to, you know, what who do you think the, the best um, outfields are, and, you know, the Dodgers are a clear-cut number one. I think there's a case to be made at number two for the Yankees and Brewers, and then a little bit farther behind, you have uh, the Angels and the uh, Astros as, you know, Mike Trout headlining that group with Justin Upton and left, and uh, over there, you have George Springer and Michael Brantley leading there. Uh, in Milwaukee, you have Lorenzo Cain and 
of course, Christian Yelich and the Yankees, Stanton, Judge, and Gardner. So uh, I don't think any of those groups necessarily stack up with Bellinger and Betts just on their own. Of course, A.J. Pollock should be playing over and left now, uh, which is funny because he's actually on the largest deal of the three of them. Uh, of course, Betts and Bellinger are still on their rookie contracts. Betts will be making more this year than the other two. Uh, but overall, size of contract, Pollock signed a free agent deal with the Dodgers last offseason and he will probably be the worst of the three, yet is on the largest contract. So I thought that was interesting. Overall, you have to be happy if you're a Dodgers fan right now with the return that they got. This is a clear win-now move after being eliminated in the first round of the playoffs last season to the Nationals, who went on to win the World Series. Of course, I had to plug that. Uh, you know, it was probably a frustrating end. You know, Clayton Kershaw once again giving up big hits in the playoffs, just not the way that they thought a 106 win season would go. Now moving forward, you know, you also find out that you were cheated out of one and possibly two World Series as well. Certainly a frustrating offseason up until this point. I mean, the Dodgers hadn't made any big moves prior to trading for bets in price. And overall, I think the two biggest ones were signing Blake Trinan, reliever who had a good year with the A's two seasons ago and then fell back to earth last year. They get him on a one-year deal. And Alex Wood, uh, who was traded to the Reds last offseason in the Yasiel Puig deal, he now comes back to the Dodgers hoping to eat innings, be that fifth starter for them. So overall, the offense takes a step forward. Now, I do think that with Price subbing in for Mayeda, it's kind of a toss-up as to which way it goes. I mean, Price certainly has the pedigree uh, to be better, has a higher ceiling than Mayeda, but Mayeda definitely has a higher floor. Price has had some injury concerns and overall was just kind of seen as a disappointment in Boston. He did, of course, pitch very well in the World Series in 2018, so at that point, you kind of, I think Red Sox fans were just content with whatever else they got out of him because he helped them get that World Series, but Boston fans are also super spoiled, so they were probably hoping for him to return to form, and that just wasn't happening. The contract turned out to be an albatross. He had three years with $36 million each remaining on the deal. It appears that the Red Sox are going to be paying for half of that for the Dodgers, which certainly helps uh, the Dodgers alleviate some of those cost concerns because they now are going to be having, I believe, the highest payroll in baseball next year. The Yankees might be up there, but I think it's the Dodgers now. The Red Sox led the way last year, so they were trying to get under the luxury tax with this. But lastly, on the Dodgers, before I go back over to Boston, I do think that you know this rotation could have a lower floor. I mean, you don't know what you're getting out of Clayton Kershaw at this point of his career. Can he stay healthy for a full 200 innings? Probably not. You're thinking the same with Price. So Walker Bueller is really going to need to step up and be that ace. I think he can do it. I think, uh, honestly, I haven't put together my preseason picks for the year, but Walker Bueller is leading the way for my NL Cy Young pick. So uh, I would not be surprised if he turned into you know the type of player that we saw him in that first round against the Nationals. He was the one starter who Washington just couldn't hit. Uh, and he, he was absolutely fantastic when he was on the mound and uh, still a young and up and coming guy. So I, I feel like 2020 is going to be a big breakout season for him when he truly cements himself as one of the best pitchers in baseball. So uh, it's going to be a question of can he do that? 
Can Clayton Kershaw return somewhat to Clayton Kershaw form? I mean, a down year from Kershaw is still a great year for any other pitcher. So, you know, they don't necessarily need him to be that guy anymore now with the presence of Bueller, but they would like for him to be a, a form a solid one-two punch uh, with Bueller at the front, followed by Price uh, there at the three spot. And if they can get him uh, to perform at a high level, you know, that's gravy at that point. So uh, Dodgers have the look uh, of being a great team, of course, in a, a five-game postseason series as we saw anything can happen i don't think the rotation stacks up with the likes of the nationals uh, but i would say that you know as far as the rest of the national league go no other team really stands out i mean the braves don't really have a fantastic rotation behind soroka you go over in the central which by the way any team could win right now uh you know no team's rotation really stands out other than maybe the reds but they have a lot of proving to do uh, before we really start talking about them as a true threat uh, and then of course the nl west it really not a rotation uh, to be reckoned with. I mean, the Diamondbacks, of course, have Bumgarner and Robbie Ray at the top, uh, who you have to like as a, as a solid one-two punch. But Bumgarner has been putting up four ERAs uh, the past couple of years. So, and he also has had some health issues. So there's certainly some concern there as to whether he can be an ace. If Robbie Ray can be an ace, he's a great strikeout artist. But is he going to be the guy that gets you uh, an ERA in the low twos, a whip below one? I don't know uh, if that's kind of his uh, the type of season he can have. But I think you know, if he can, you know, put it all together and have one great year, that's certainly something he's capable of. So overall, I think the Dodgers rotation is very good, but I don't think, you know, it's like the Nationals in that it's just kind of a step above everybody else. Now the lineup on the other hand certainly is, I mean, it's as deep as it gets. And if Gavin Lux is, is the real deal at second base, I mean, there won't be a hole in that lineup other than maybe Pollock, uh, if he continues the decline that he's been showing since signing that contract. Overall, though, this, this lineup, especially that, that one-two punch, uh, of Bellinger and Betts. And of course, you got Max Muncie hitting behind them. Uh, Will Smith had a great year at catcher last year. Uh, he, he was a, you know, a good asset for them and very young. So could conceivably take another step forward. Of course, you still have Justin Turner, who's not really the Justin Turner of old, uh, but still certainly a valuable contributor. Uh, and, you know, this team, it's just very good. They won 106 games last year and added, uh, the, a top three player in baseball. I mean, you you can debate where Betts falls on that ranking. Uh, you know, most people have been saying he's the best player behind Trout. Personally, I actually put Christian Yelich at number two just because of the last two years. He's you know he obviously won MVP the same year as Betts, uh, and last year he missed the end of the year uh, with some back issues that ultimately uh, you know might hurt his stock in the minds of some people. But I felt like. The numbers he was putting up, you know, they were certainly better than what Betts did last year. You know, Betts kind of fell back down to earth a little bit. Still had probably the second best season of his career, uh, but not nearly the numbers that he put up uh, as an MVP. Whereas we saw, you know, Christian Yelich really just continue those same uh, numbers that he put together back in 2018, leading up until his back injury. The only reason he really lost out to Bellinger was just a lack of playing uh, by the end of the year. Because Bellinger, you know, really fell off in the second half. And month by month, the, the OPS just slowly fell uh, and it was you know he just got off to such a torrid start that he really didn't need to do a whole lot the rest of the way in order to you know have really big numbers by the end of the year so I felt like if Yelich you know had continued playing I mean it was already a pretty close call it was far from unanimous Yelich got plenty of first place votes if Yelich had continued to play the rest of the year I think we'd be having very different conversations about this uh, because we'd be talking about Cody Bellinger as the runner-up uh, for MVP but 
ultimately, you know, he got the award and he was very deserving. I would have voted Yelich, uh, but I, I understand why some voters stayed away from that just considering he didn't play enough. So uh, that's kind of where Los Angeles falls in all of this. Over in Boston, this is where there's just so much to unpack because right now we have so many Boston fans just freaking out at having traded a franchise player uh, in his final year before free agency. Now, this doesn't take away the possibility of the Red Sox bringing him back and signing him to some monster extension, but uh, it does certainly dampen those expectations. Now, interestingly enough, uh, this is the Red Sox fault. I mean, the, the the reason they're in this position is because Dave Dombrowski went all in on winning a World Series in 2018 and then followed it up by giving a bunch of ill-advised contracts to players who helped contribute to that run. We saw Nathan Ivaldi getting $17 million a year. Chris Sale has been locked up uh, to a substantial extension, and now he's having injury concerns. Uh, they gave David Price that contract before the World Series uh, in an effort to you know really boost their stock. They obviously are still giving uh, Dustin Pedroia a ton of money, even though he's not going to be contributing. He had a setback in his rehab from knee injury uh, after playing, I think it was like nine total games over the last two years, uh, just might not ever play again. So it really sucks because he was such a great player back in his heyday, but now he's really just kind of fallen back to earth and uh, all of these injury concerns may have put an end to his career, but the Red Sox are still paying for him. So overall, they have all of this money tied up into these players that aren't contributing in the way that they might be hoping for them to, especially the way that they're paying them to. I mean, Chris Sale, when he was healthy, certainly he actually got off to a pretty rough start, but uh, after that did pretty well last year. So overall, you know, you're hoping that, you know, he can come back and be the guy, but that was kind of what you were hinging things on was David Price actually being a contributor, more of a contributor than Los Angeles is hoping for him to be. You were hoping that you got a healthy Chris Sale throughout the year. You were hoping that Betts continued his ascent. You have a good lineup with Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez, all guys who uh, are contributing at a high level. Uh, but uh, you know, no Craig Kimbrell at the back of that bullpen. There are some question marks. The rotation uh, outside of Erod really didn't have a whole lot of depth. Avaldi got moved to the bullpen because he was so ineffective. Uh, it just really hand-strung the Red Sox to the point where if you look at the 2020 season and you want to justify the Red Sox going over not just one luxury tax threshold, but two, in which case they're going and having done so for several years, uh, comes up with a tax payment that they'll have to make of around 40, 50 million. I mean, at that point, is it really worth it when you see the Yankees next to you? You see the, the Rays next to you as two very good teams, particularly the Yankees, who seem like locks to run away with the division early, uh, and the Rays who are going to give you a tough out. Uh, the the AL Central has a couple of teams that are, are going for it, for it notably uh, the White Sox and the Twins, and you can make an argument for the Indians, even though they traded Corey Kluber this offseason, and there have been entertaining trades for Francisco Lindor as well. Uh, and out in the AL West, you have an Angels team that's been making strides uh, to compete. You obviously have the A's who are in the wildcard game, and who knows what we're going to be seeing out of the Astros, but they still look like a juggernaut given their roster, even despite the loss of Garrett Cole. So, you know, this season was not a shoe-in for the Red Sox to make the playoffs. Is it really worth it to push all of your chips in on this year and then lose Mookie Betts for a couple of draft picks in, in free agency? Now, the Red Sox are a team that could conceivably pay 
Mookie bets a $400 million contract, if that's really what he's going to get. I don't know. He's older uh, than Harper and Machado were when they signed their contracts, but also more established and accomplished than they were. So perhaps, you know, he could reach that threshold, the kind of contract that Mike Trout got from the, the Angels. But if the, the Red Sox could make that kind of deal, but if you think about it, if they were to have kept Mookie Betts this year and gone over the luxury tax, and then they signed Mookie Betts that kind of extension the following year, they're in line to exceed this luxury tax threshold. I mean, obviously the new CBA is up in two years, or the old CBA is up in two years, but they're in line to exceed that luxury tax threshold for the next decade at that point. And is that something that is really a sustainable model for success? I don't know. The fact that they traded him and are now projected to go under the luxury tax uh, for next season actually puts them in a better position financially to extend Mookie. And Betts had to know that they were going to be, you know, considering trade offers for him this year, this offseason. I mean, I have a feeling that when Kyle Bloom was hired uh, by the Fenway Sports Group, he was told, you know, the first thing you need to do is trade Mookie Betts and David Price. Get us underneath the luxury tax threshold. That's going to be uh, the most important thing. So considering what Kyle Bloom was told to do, I don't see why Boston fans should be holding that against him. It, it bothers me a lot. It kind of just shows that they're not really paying attention. And yes, uh, it is not the uh, uh, financial flexibility World Series title. It is the baseball World Series title. And I get that is not supposed to be the be-all end goal. Uh, but the Red Sox went all in on winning a title, which is what they were supposed to do. And mind you, it was two seasons ago that they did it. And now they're dealing with the repercussions of it. And they're doing what several other teams have done in the past. Go back into a mini reboot, sell off a couple of pieces for some players who you can plug in in the next year or so, and then try to compete again. And that's exactly what they're going to do. Who knows what the AL East is going to look like a year from now? Will the Yankees have made the playoffs? Will have Garrett Cole have gotten injured? I mean, the, the Yankees rotation in general has so many injury concerns. James Paxton already being told he's going to miss three to four months. Masahiro Tanaka can't stay healthy. Montgomery has had Tommy John in the past. I mean, they're just, J.A. Happ has been ineffective altogether. I mean, there are so many question marks about that rotation that, you know, you don't know if they're even going to be the juggernaut that we, we all think they're going to be right now. They dealt with the most injuries in baseball last year, still, you know, won 104 games, 103 games, whatever it was, uh, and made the playoffs, obviously, despite all those injuries. So you would think that they'd be even better in 2020, but that's the thing. We, you know, we, baseball isn't played in the offseason, it's played in the regular season. They play 162 games and a lot of things can happen. So who knows? Maybe the Rays fall back down to earth. They, you know, we mentioned before, they made a couple of moves that, uh, they gave up Tommy Pham and Avisel Garcia, who were two important pieces in their lineup last year. So, you know, who knows what it's going to look like? And the, the Red Sox, obviously understanding that they are not in the same league as the Yankees, and you could argue not really in the same league as the Rays either. Why not just get under the luxury tax, reset that penalty, and then go for it again with another big contract next offseason? So, you know, I don't get the hate that they're getting. Uh, if, if there is going to be any hate, it should be directed uh, at Dave Dombrowski for putting them in this position uh, with all of the ill-advised spending that they did in the first place. I mean, you know, I know this is said a lot, but the owners didn't get to where they are by spending willy-nilly. They got there because they're smart businessmen and businesswomen. And, you know, for the ownership group to look at this team and say, is it a smart investment? Uh, you know, even just saying investment straight into product on the field, but, you know, never mind revenue and all that, 
is it smart to invest this much money in a team that, you know, needs a lot of things to happen for them to make the postseason? I don't know. I, I don't know if that's really smart. Uh, and, you know, you bring in a guy, Kyle Bloom, coming from the Rays organization, who's had to do a lot uh, with very little in terms of large contracts. He hasn't been able to dole out large contracts uh, with Tampa Bay. Now, of course, he uh, hasn't been GM there for very long. He was uh, more of an assistant role prior to that. So he himself wasn't the one handing out those contracts. But in Tampa Bay, what do they do? They have few large contracts and a great farm system. What does Boston have, at least going into this offseason? A a lot of large contracts and no farm system. So he's going to try and adopt that raise model, go back and turn things around and, and try to do more with less. And that's what he's been doing his entire career. You need to give him the benefit of the doubt that that's something he can do. So I don't think that this is a sign of, oh, this is terrible for baseball. How could the Red Sox trade a franchise player with one year to go? Their homegrown guy, somebody who's already won MVP and could be the face of the franchise for the next decade. You know, this happens all the time, and honestly, it's made baseball relevant. I mean, if you're baseball right now, you're the major, you're major leagues, you're Rob Manfred, and you're looking at all of the media attention that they're getting, I, you got to be happy with that. I mean, obviously, I, I think if you are going to have, you know, there's something that you got to be worried about, it's it's the CBA. It's the state of where te- the, the organizations, the owners are versus where the players are at the bargaining table because they're far apart right now. And that is due to the luxury tax, which is a broken system, revenue sharing, all of that stuff. It, it, I mean, service time, you name it. There are so many issues that they are going to need to address. And obviously, the luxury tax kind of being the crux of that, uh, I think we're going to be seeing an overhauled system. We might not even have a luxury tax uh, in a couple of years after the season. CBA expires. You know, we might be seeing a strike. I don't know, uh, but there are going to be a lot of things that change, and it's because of a broken system. It's not because of the Red Sox, uh, you know, giving up on a, on a franchise player. They could still re-sign him, and all things, you know, he, that seem to be coming out of Betts's camp seem to say that he liked it in Boston. He thinks it's home, uh, and I think he would be open to re-signing there next year. I mean, we saw Aroldis Chapman do it, uh, go get traded to the Cubs, win a World Series, and then come back to the Yankees afterward on a long term deal. Uh, And that was the year that the Yankees, of all teams, got under the luxury tax, traded a few big names, and took a step back. They were sellers at the trade deadline. And everybody at the time was saying, oh, how could the Yankees do this? They're supposed to buy their way through no matter what. Look at them now. They were able to get a couple of key pieces, Glaber Torres among them, uh, and now and traded one of them for James Paxson, who's supposed to be a, a big help for them in the bullpen or in the rotation. You know, we're talking about them as a potential dynasty. And that's because they made that move. They made the decision uh, to take a step back and reboot. And it, with for a team like the Yankees, who have the kind of payroll flexibility that they do, that only gives them a greater advantage. Create that payroll space. Give yourself some cheap players so that you can overspend on a few areas of need. That's exactly what they did. They gave Garrett Cole a $300 million contract. I mean, it's crazy uh, for the Red Sox to be slammed this much because what they're going to look like in two years is going to be probably very, very good. We're going to see them sign Nolan Arenado, take an opt-out out of his deal, and they sign him to a, a monster extension. I mean, there are plenty of players you know, coming up in free agency in the next few seasons. Chris Bryan, another one, um, who they could sign, and they'll have the ability to do it. 
David Price's contract coming off the books was huge. And obviously, they're hoping for Gratterall to, to be an important bullpen piece. Maybe they get another starter from the Twins or Dodgers uh, in this deal. I don't know what the final uh, picture is going to be. But overall, if you are angry at the Red Sox, you are, you're having your anger misguided. I think the, the three areas uh, that you can be mad at, uh, Dave Dombrowski, Makes perfect sense. Although, you know what? He got you a World Series. So, Boston fans, suck it. Okay? You're spoiled. I'm sorry, but you are. And, you know, for you to to demand a, a contending team, one that is going to have World Series aspirations every single season, I mean... Yes, in a perfect world, every fan should want that. But in reality, you know, in the especially in the age of analytics, that's just not how teams are run. Uh, you you got to you don't I'm just to say you don't have to be bad to be good. There are certainly ways like the Dodgers where sustained success is possible. But the Dodgers have one of the best scouting development teams in the entire league. They continue to produce top end talent despite being so good. And the what did the Red Sox do? They traded anybody in their farm system away who had any chance of contributing at the major league level uh, for players who could help them out right then. And that's exactly what they did. And it worked, and they won a World Series. So I think, you know, they're not being offered that typical grace period that we see for teams that win championships. And, uh, you know, do I want the the Nationals to come back and win a World Series again? Absolutely. I'm actually probably more critical than most people in D.C. right now as to what they've done this offseason. Uh, as because I, I don't think that they're the favorites to win the division. They certainly aren't the favorites to win the National League. Uh, I think they're maybe one big move away from being real contenders uh, for the World Series. But, uh, you know, at the same time, Boston is just being slammed because they came out, had a terrible repeat year or uh, the title defense year in 2019 and now are deciding that the core that they have right now isn't enough to get it done and they're keeping several pieces Devers and Bogarts uh, among them together so that they can contribute the next time they make a run at it and it's going to be sooner rather than later so uh, those those three areas I mentioned though that you can afford to be mad at Dave Dombrowski but even then you know that he got you a World Series uh, the Red Sox ownership group for making that decision to pull back uh, on this season. But even then, I think that they're making the right decision for sustainable success. Uh, and the other area is the just the rule, the CBA in general. And that is going to be discussed in two years uh, and overhauled and we'll hopefully get a new system without a strike. Uh, but for now, you know, I think this is just something that Boston fans are just going to have to wear. Uh, and you know what, you know, if, if Tom Brady doesn't come back, uh, this off season and the Celtics flame out, uh, like they have in the, in the playoffs, uh, in, you know, by the end, the Bruins don't do anything. I mean, this could be a pretty bad year for Boston sports overall. Sure. Uh, but it's not like y'all haven't been, you know, treated pretty well, uh, over the past couple of decades. So I'm not going to feel too bad. Uh, for Boston fans. So uh, that's my piece on that. Uh, also, as a response to this or part of this deal, I guess not part of it, is separate trade. Uh, but we also are seeing Jock Peterson get traded over to the Angels uh, to make room um, for, of course, Mookie Betts uh, in the outfield. They got back an infielder 
infield prospect, uh, somebody who they're just going to be adding to their farm system. Don't have the name in front of me. Uh, but as far as, as the Angels go in all of this, uh, Peterson, to me, uh, is just kind of a platoon player at this point. So I think him and Brian Goodwin are kind of going to be holdovers in the outfield until Joe Adele, uh, their top prospect, a consensus top five, top five prospect. In fact, a consensus top three prospect in all of baseball, uh, he is going to accrue probably another year of service time in the minor leagues, another thing that will be uh, addressed in the CBA, and then brought up. Uh, so we're going to see Jock and Goodwin hold things over until Adele is ready. He is considered to have one of the best bats in the minor leagues, so I'm very excited to see what he does next year uh, with the Angels. I think they have the potential to leapfrog a couple of those teams in those outfield rankings that I mentioned, especially with the presence of Mike Trout, of course, uh, there, and uh, Justin Upton, who is getting up there in age, but can still mash, you know, we'll hit uh, 30 plus homers for you in a good year. So, uh, you know, they're, they're probably in a good spot. They, they've made a couple of smaller moves for pitching, uh, but overall don't have a rotation that really scares anybody, but that offense with the addition of Anthony Rendon this off season, uh, and now Pollock, uh, or sorry, Peterson, uh, who will be able to, to form a platoon with Goodwin. I think that overall that gives them a pretty deep lineup, uh, where you've got to be feeling better about this 2020 Angels team, uh, than fans probably have about any team in the past couple of years, especially since, uh, 2012, which was Trout's only year, uh, of making the playoffs. It's just been an absolute crime not having him in the postseason. So, uh, that's, that's it for me, uh, on this trade. I think overall, uh, it's it was exciting. I mean, we've had such a crazy off season, uh, as I mentioned earlier with Blake on uh, for baseball. I think that the major leagues has been in the headlines a lot more than it has in off seasons past, particularly last off season when we just waited basically all winter for Bryce Harper and Manny Machado to sign. And of course, uh, Craig Kimbrell and Dallas Keuchel waited well into the year. Those were four of the top ten pro- uh, free agents uh, on the board that off season. And we weren't having any news about them the entire time. I mean, the Nats made a flurry of moves in the first month. They got Patrick Corbin. Uh, they traded for Jan Gomes. They signed Anibal Sanchez, uh, made a couple of other moves, Brian Dozier. Uh, but overall, that was kind of it uh, as far as a ton of moves being made. No other teams were really all that active. So, you know, this offseason has been completely different. And obviously, having the Astros scandal certainly made things a lot more interesting. And you could argue it's definitely not good for baseball, uh, but certainly helped push its status up uh, in the national attention stratosphere uh, of competing with a very you know busy NFL season which Lamar Jackson popped off and uh, we had a ton of, of very good teams and the NBA's crazy off season last year now the season kicking off this winter uh, in, in you know, getting to see the what these new super teams look like. I mean, baseball has been dominating headlines, you know, certainly uh, not every day by any means, but we are seeing MLB at the top of feeds much more often than we probably were used to. I mean, even the winter meetings were more exciting than they've been in years past uh, with huge signings every day and Scott Boris ultimately netting a billion dollars uh, in player contracts this offseason. So uh, lots of money going around. I, I think that, you know, the CBA is kind of this lurking, uh, you know, danger ahead sign that we need to be worried about, certainly, because there haven't been any productive talks to this point, And they seem so far apart on so many key issues that a lot of people are saying a strike seems inevitable as 
possibly the universal DH, uh, which I would not be happy about. It's just not real baseball, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, I was raised as a fan of a National League team, so that's pretty uh, common for, for people like me. So uh, I I understand that it's probably inevitable at this point. Um, the idea was tossed around. I know I'm getting off on a tangent here, but the idea was tossed around of having a uh, DH in both leagues, but uh, the DH could only be in the starting lineup uh, while the starting pitcher is in the game, which I thought was very interesting because after that, you have to start using pinch hitters. And, you know, the idea of hitters pitch of hit, pitchers hitting uh, becomes pretty minute because relievers never hit. If you don't watch National League Baseball that often, that's when pinch hitters come in. And the only time relievers are hitting is in rare situations when uh, the bench has been emptied in extra innings and uh, you're just out of guys and it's the 13th and there's nobody else to uh, come up to the plate. So you, you need that reliever to go maybe an extra inning, but his spot in the lineup is due up. So you send him out there, tell him not to swing. Uh, and at that point, it becomes kind of an automatic out. But overall, Pitchers wouldn't hit that often. The big snag, though, uh, with that uh, is that all of these players who are signed to American League teams with the ideas of being everyday DHs or transitioning to an everyday DH uh, later in their career, uh, that becomes a bit of an issue because you can't really be considered an everyday player because you'd only be staying in uh, for as long as your starting pitcher is in. So uh, if you're being paid to play every day, but you're only playing six out of every nine innings, you know, that kind of makes it uh, a bit of an issue. You can do double switches and things like that, but then that player has to be able to play defense and some of them in their later years just are terrible at defense. And that's the whole point, but that's why instituting the DH in the first place was a terrible idea. But uh, you know, that is obviously a debate to be had back in the 1970s. So uh, nothing we can do about that now. Uh, it'll probably happen, and we'll just have to deal with it, even though it is making the strategic side of baseball a lot less fun. All right. Well, that's going to do it uh, for the show today. Thank you all for listening through to my rant uh, and for listening to Blake and I's take on the Super Bowl. thought overall it was a pretty good t discussion. Uh, we wanted to get into the NBA a little bit. I think we were thinking about drafting some all-star teams. Maybe we do that uh, in our upcoming show, um, but we'll see uh, what happens with that. Um, but for Matt Wyatt, or for Blake Pace, huh. I'm Matt Wyrick. Uh, don't get that confused. You can follow us on Twitter. He's at Blake Andrew Pace. I'm at by Matt Wyrick, um, where you can find all of our content surrounding the Colts in Syracuse for Blake and everything DC and Maryland sports for me. All right, everybody. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.